Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is a lady who needs very little introduction. It's Jennifer Arcuri. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure. We're really excited to talk to you. Um, so if we could just start with how you got into the world of technology, what was your what was your journey? When, when were you first interested? I started paying attention to, to technology in film school. I was doing some classes, uh, or it was in the middle um, at University of Southern California. And I remember there was a lecture they had um, with some, you know, baller directors, some really well-known, I mean, John Turturro, uh, we had Spielberg, and then I think there was another, George, was it George Lucas? There was, you know, there was a series of lectures where at one point, John Turturro, the director of the National Treasure series, turned to a bunch of 20-somethings in the classroom and was like, what the hell are you guys doing to our industry? <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute, we're here to idolize you and you're afraid of us. And I remember back in the day, you know, Steven Spielberg saying something like, I have to compete with Pete in Peoria, Illinois, you know, or Hoboken, New Jersey, who's getting more views on their videos. Wow. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So the whole distribution platform is turning inside out. The way we distribute films across markets, the way the markets were, you know, buying and selling the acquisitions, you know, the parts of the regions of the world. So this was, you know, this was early 2003 to five, when YouTube was this brand new concept. And um, I was very much interested in independent filmmaking and saw how technology was taking shape in Hollywood. And, and that's what, you know, initially inspired me. And so from from the, are you still interested in films these days and film technology, or has it moved obviously over to your your current business, the the Hacker House? I mean, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> Talk about all over the place. I think I've always had an interest in executive producing. I've always been the one. I remember my director in um, undergrad. She said, "Look, you can be the biggest philanthropist all day long, but right now you need to focus on your sixteen bar cut." Um, because even though I loved studying theater and musical theater, um, I never saw myself going to cattle call auditions. I wasn't, I would rather buy the theater <laughs> and slate the show season for, you know, I wasn't exactly interested. So I've always kept one foot into the filmmaking spot, um, venture capital funds, that kind of thing, just on, on the mere curiosity of how one goes about um, funding, you know, it, it started that way. In fact, that's what set me on my quest when I showed up in London in 2011 and about day two of my MBA, I turned to my student services. You know, this is a school that gave me a scholarship to attend. And I said, look, I don't think I'm the right person for your program. Um, I'm never going to be a financial planner. I could care less about becoming a consultant at McKinsey. I'm not your C-suite executive. And she turned to me and she said, why don't you look into venture capital? Now, keep in mind, this was right after the recession of 2008, you know, when I showed up in London. And I remember one of the bankers I spoke to says there's no venture in venture capital at the moment. Um, but, you know, I, I, as I walked out of her office that day, 
I mean, literally, um, as I was walking out, I was Googling British venture capital. And the first thing that showed up was the British Venture Capital Association, um, to whom I called. And I said, listen, I ha- I'm the president of the Venture Capital Club that didn't actually exist at Holt University at the time at my MBA program. I just told them I was the president. And would they offer any student discount for a group of students for us to come? And so that kind of brought me back into the scene in London and what kind of kicked it all off. But I mean, technology was always something I dabbled in just because of, I think, the age bracket of, you know, the generation of which I grew up in. Um, being able to build a website just kind of came naturally or, you know, you know, make little viral content videos online. I started uh, initially, I became part of a, a company in California um, you broadcast that was your own video ra- radio streaming site that turned into a video f- streaming. And then eventually, um, that's kind of what brought me into the, the filmmaking, producing, and then brought me to London for my MBA. And yeah, <laughs> that's what started my crazy adventure there. That's so interesting. There is now so much technology in filmmaking. It's incredible. There's a new revolution happening with um, Unreal Engine. I'm, I'm not sure if you you heard about that but it's the game's design um engine that's now being used to create 3d worlds so making it much easier to set up sets um that look realistic but can be changed on the fly so there's there's so so many big changes going on oh for sure and it was happening i mean even when i was you know, it, right out of, of high school going into undergrad. I mean, there was just, you could see the kind of early stages of how technology was dramatically shaping the industry and, you know, the such notions of, you know, monetizing bite-sized content. Video content was always my particular interest, um, so much so that later years on, I wrote an algorithm to, to build out or was trying to build out what I thought um, would be a very cool summarization platform for videos called Playbox, because I still think the opportunities in this space are huge. And one of the things with uh, crypto, you know, especially the decentralized video streaming coins, there's a few, you know, Theta's one, VRA. I mean, these are going to be monsters in, as far as being able to um, keep up with the demand for video streaming. Um, and so that's, you know, I've, I've always kind of followed that evolution of how technology and filmmaking, story taking, you know, storytelling and the advent of the entertainment has mixed with technology over the, you know, last few years. Are you familiar with um, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari? I am not. So the only reason I meant, there's two reasons I mentioned it. One is because I think it's the most interesting thing I've read in the last 25 years. And the second is that very, very quickly he 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 raises the question, which is at the really at the heart of the book. Um, there used to be five or six versions of early man. So there was Homo sapiens, there was Homo habilis, Homo neanderthalis, Homo australiensis. All these basic version early iterations of, of mankind, and Homo sapiens is the only one that survived. And he raises the question: What what is it that we had? Because obviously we're we're you know successes in the line of, of Homo sapiens. What is it that we had that the other ones didn't? And he his his provocative suggestion is that what, what made us unique relative to all the others was that we uh, are obsessed with storytelling, that we love stories. Oh yeah, which, which I think is a really intriguing premise. And so so I guess where I was going with this is 
every every so often you get a new medium. So you originally had radio, and then then you had silent films, then you had talkies, and then you had TV. And every time the new one comes along, and then of course the internet, and every time the new one comes along, all the old guys sort of scratch their heads and think we're going to be out of business. But over time, they all manage to accommodate with each other, so they don't actually die off because radio is still radio is still you know alive and kicking. Oh, for sure. And when I was in school, I remember the concepts in you know in film school around the idea of transmedia producing. So you extend the life of your story from the two-hour film into these worlds, you know, that it can exist in gaming, social media. Um, you know, visual Pinterest, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can extend and create the life of, you know, so that your audience interacts, you know, in a much more granular level than just going, showing up at the theater and then leaving. So this is kind of where all these, you know, different mediums of storytelling can really integrate. Um, you know, you see this crossover, you know, a lot of games becoming movies, movies, you know, stories, and I think people like seeing these stories breathe life across these different, um, you know, mediums. Because I, I, I used to be disparaging about the kind of the the what do they call it now? The adult fiction. Um, what, what do you what, what's the what's the, the 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 classy name for comic? Um, graphic novel. Graphic novel. Thank you. So I used to be sort of sniff snooty about the graphic novel, but the reality is that so, so, not all of them, but some of the, some of these things are are, are are complete works of genius in their own right, and works of arms. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and then especially as you kind of venture down the rabbit holes, and you realize, holy crap, a lot of this was like right in our eyes, you know, hiding in plain sight all this time, and you start you start seeing these narratives you've watched with you know one lens take on a whole new meaning um as you kind of see beyond the prism of which they are presented because the creepy one is v, is v for vendetta the one that we've, we've we've spoken about recently which is now looks disturbingly uh, prophetic oh yeah and i would also recommend the yeah definitely that one and i don't know if you guys ever saw the 2014 utopia i think it was channel four who put that out in the uk but Amazon redid it, Utopia in the US. It's crap compared to the old version. I highly recommend the UK version. There's just so much subtext there, so many messages. And I think the subtleties of which the message is, you know, stronger, you know, said with these, and the character and the writing is much more in depth. I, I can't recommend it enough, especially for what we're going through right now. A lot of people, when I speak to them, um, they struggle with this concept of who is they, Jennifer, who is they? And I've listened to Catherine Austin Fitz speak, and she often mentions Mr. Global. And I think that's a great way of putting what the they is. But one thing in that show is it shows you kind of how there is a government that all the people see and we know. And then there is this notion of a shadow government that really are the powers um, behind this government and how they present and they wield narratives and turn. I mean, it's fascinating. So I think this is really a time where people kind of go down that or explore the alternative um, because there seems to be such a divide in society. And I think it's only natural to question and it's okay to question. Yeah. The, the, the whole concept of questioning at the moment is, is a big topic, especially with the way censorship is, is uh, happening for anybody or any any narrative that is not the official one. That's and that's where technology. If you look at the beginning of the internet and how everybody thought it would be 
a democracy where anybody can have any views. And of course, you were talking about the the big um, names in film saying that they have they have to compete with the these smaller but very popular individual filmmakers. Um, but actually, tech can just turn the turn the switch off. They can just turn you off, and and that's it. They <clears throat> they are the new sensors, and and it's not a democracy anymore. You're right. You're right. And I think, if anything, the powers that be, Mr. Global, have learned how to use this technology to, um, you know, silence and, you know, put this kind of unbridled veil over everybody, you know, the censorship with this tech. I mean, they've weaponized the thing that was meant to make information more available. But I'm sure I, sorry to, to cut in, I'm sure I remember a quote from the, the early days of the internet saying that the, the internet interprets censorship as, as damage and roots around it. And I'm, I'm convinced that, it was a question I was going to ask later, but I might as well ask it now. One of the things that I think both Paul and I was, were taken by was the interview that you gave, it was published by Money Magpie a few weeks ago here in the UK. Yeah. And it was, one of the things I think you said, uh, unless I'm mistaken, was that we, we seem also to be entering a period of, let's say, spiritual awakening. Would, would, you, would you stand by that? Yeah, yes. Could, in which case, could, 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 you, could you expand on that a little? Of course. So James Dellingpole retweeted a, a video yesterday of a man talking about, you know, how they've put us in such a state of paralyzing fear, this compulsion mm. to obey, and how this is a low vibration. And I commented saying, yes, this, this fear-based, you know, rhetoric propaganda has, has created a very low vibration where people, you know, energetically are responding or more quick to trigger a response negatively. But, you know, what it, what I believe is happening to humanity, and this is the unfortunate part, the due diligence of this awakening, this pain before the rebirth, um, is, you know, the struggle of understanding what we have been told our entire lives you know, the vernacular used, the concepts in which we've been raised around, the ideations of what we believed we were a part of, a lot of that is not as it was first presented. And in this process of pain will become, will come this, um, you know, natural uh, frequency of, of awakening, which will, which I believe reverberates on a higher frequency than fear. And when I was talking about, you know, this, this fear around this reset, you know, this was kind of the context of which I was uh, speaking, um, in the money magna magpie piece. There's a lot of people that, that believe that we will be going into a digital currency and that, you know, they will take our money. And this is a really, you know, awful thing to have this civic, you know, uh, civics credit scores and that is all correct there are there are very valid fears around all of that but i think before we even get there there are certain chains in which have enslaved all of us that people don't even realize you know we are in this ponzi scheme called the central banking system is nothing but a corrupt pile of crap i mean the banksters run the world they manipulate you know the cftc the precious markets the you know the interest rates reverse repo i mean there's just name any sector of the market and it is manipulated completely and owned by you know if we follow the money back up this this concept of mr global and 
sure that's scary, but there, you know, choosing technology, choosing a new system doesn't have to be fear-based. And we can come into this awakening of understanding what the chains were around this current Ponzi system in which we are and choose better how to set the framework for the next financial system. Could could it could it not be the case that Mr. Sorry to interrupt it, that Mr. Global is also pursuing his reset out of a sense of fear on his part, out of fear of losing what he's got? Of course. Oh, of course. I mean, why why else would they be pushing the Bitcoin narrative like they are? I mean, Jamie, Di- Jamie Dimon was saying he was going to fire anybody who held Bitcoin, and now all of a sudden they're they're pushing this, you know, this this very staged narrative in front of the audience. Digital gold, digital gold. Why? Well, to distract the average person from holding physical metals. You know, that's the real money. Um, I you know I do believe in the utility of crypto, but not at the the expense of of you know owning physical metal. There's nothing like that. And then when you peel back the layers, you're seeing that all the central banks are, you know, owning up, you know, loading up on on precious metals. So there will be a reset of some sort. Which side ends up winning remains to be seen. But that's where I believe the power of the people. Um, and that is where the conscious great awakening that it keeps getting talked about comes into play. Because as soon as you recognize the powers that be that have enslaved all of us, the way that they've funneled tax dollars, the way, you know, the postmaster general, the way this council of 13, the city of London works, understanding the banking act of 1871, all of this shows that we have never been free this is not a democracy by the truth. This isn't the constitutional republic the framers worked, wrote in my country. This isn't, you know, the, the way that the, you know, the financial capitalism, the free markets, I mean, true free markets don't operate it under this kind of manipulated demise. Um, and so I think going back to your question about this great awakening, you know, and understanding that we, the people, have to choose to step away out of the current system, but into a new system that makes sure this kind of stuff never happens again. Not moving into a civic, you know, credit score and a, an extra layer of digital currency, a fiat, you know, that can be turned off if you go five miles outside of your allotted radius. I mean, what is that? You know, step up, people. No, no more QE, no more debasing of currency, no more funneling and, and, and settling payments six days after the fact because they've got to trade through six different accounts, you know, going from point A to point B. Payments should happen instantaneously. They should settle immediately. There should no be no question where your money is, and the government should not be able to inflate it away, which is why I'm a huge advocate of pegging the new system currency to hard metals. So it looks as though the way policy has been rolled out of the last 20 years or, or more, possibly since coming off the gold standard, um, that it's a, a series of policy missteps in, in the sense that they didn't want to take the hard, um, painful decisions that would correct the system. And instead, it was always pushing the problem, kicking the can down the road, hoping that lower interest rates would work, and then hitting the lower bound of low, lower interest rates and, and then having to do QE and then and then having to buy more bonds and then extending that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, could it just be that instead of, or, or was this all like pre-planned in the sense that they must have been able to work out that at some point the whole system's going to implode because you just cannot do this forever. 
And somebody's somebody's got to do the right thing at some point. I think they absolutely knew. I think that this was about making sure the system stayed intact as long as possible for that, you know, for them to be able to take as much as, you know, that they can out of it because eventually, like you said, it will, it will collapse. I think the system died in 2008. I mean, there's, there's many that argue that that, and, you know, you could, you could see that, you know, when we had these bailouts you know, there were certain zombie companies and zombie bank that were propped up through, you know, this kind of fake money that circulated through. And I think, you know, there is, that's, that's not real capitalism. That's not real free markets. You know, when businesses need to be allowed to die, not these propped up zombie companies. And so I think what we're feeling now is really because of the legislative, you know, delinquency from that point onwards, and it's been building up and building up. And, and I didn't really take a lot of time, especially during my MBA, to look into life cycles of currencies. But actually, it does happen in history. You know, we do have debt jubilees. We have currencies run. You know, we've seen this, you know, through all great transitions of power. Um, and this is why I, I do believe that, you know, we are not going to see just a financial reset and everything else. No, this is a great awakening across all fronts you know, uh, physical, emotional, spiritual, all the kind of uh, this, the social impacts of what resetting a financial market will, I mean, it, it'll, it'll echo down, um, which is why I, I really want to give people a message of hope because, you know, how we choose to enact the next financial system using, you know, key instruments and, you know, re- welcoming blockchain, not, not fearing it because you think it's something it, it you know, it's not, I think this is one of the biggest, um, uh, you know, I don't know, misnomers, I guess, around this area of payment rails and blockchain and the use of CBDCs. You know, I said this in my Telegram channel um, because this a lot of people were asking these questions. Look, you don't need a you don't need to have a biometric COVID digital ID pass for the introduction adoption of of digital currencies and to run on blockchain. Just like you don't need to stop transmission of a virus with COVID vaccines either. You know, one is not equal to the other. Um, And and when we when we choose to use blockchain as an adoption into the financial sector. I don't believe it, it needs to come at a price of privacy, you know, or enslaving the people. And I think that's a really key message to make people understand now, because if they only understood how enslaved they are currently, <laughs> and where we are going, and, and, and I think it would, it, it would help bring some hope and light, you know, and that this is not something to be feared. It's just something to have informed consent to walk in knowingly, um, how all these systems work and how we can set perimeters so that they don't, you know, this overbreach never happens again, so that we're not continuing to, um, you know, keep this cycle of, of income inequality, you know, this kind of division and polarity in, in society. Because anybody looking at this would say, wait a minute, this is not about helping the many. This is about a few. I think, I think you've just answered this question just now, but I'll ask it anyway, at the risk of sounding a bit contentious. Do you think this was ever a, a, a legitimate pandemic? Or do you think this was confected to bring in things like CBDC and uh, biosurveillance? 
I, I mean, I think this was the guise in which to roll those things in. Not for a second have I ever believed there was actually a true pandemic. And I realize people will go nuts when I say that. But no, I mean, no. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I say I sense since that it, it, just as there is, there seems to me to be a, a genuine evidence of a uh, a great awakening happening around the world, if, if only through people taking to the streets and uh, voicing their protest against um, what, 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 I, what you can only really describe as, as fascism in some form, then equally people are starting to, 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 to question pretty much all of the conventional narrative because the narrative's falling apart now. I mean, it was never really consistent, but the, the, you, know, you can drive a coach and horses through the holes in it now. The relentless push for these vaccines, look, even if you were the biggest vaccine Nazi in the world and loved them, you know, you, you have to see through this kind of stage puppeteering of the only way to fe defeat a virus is through an injection. When there's ample treatments... You know, if this was really about a virus, we would be rewarding people with intravenous vitamin, you know, D and C and zinc, not Krispy Kremes and, you know, McDonald's French fries. It's just ridiculous. Um, and then you wouldn't have banks shutting down and only the big, big box retailers allowed to open. Yet the little guys have to stay closed. There were just so many, you know, things that make you question. Now, look, I'm not. I don't put down anybody. I mean, clearly there are, there's flu, there's viruses, people get sick, there's people that get, you know, but I think it, we are naive to think that this push for, you know, the vaccine passports is just about your health because it's categorically not. So you, you talked about the, the pain before the rebirth. How much pain and what will it take? Uh, what, what form will it take? Um, and if, if you have any sort of finger in the air, um, idea about how long it will be, uh, in terms of this cycle. So will it be a few years of pain and then we come out the other side? Will it be quick or, or what is your expectation? I mean, there's two different schools of thought. I mean, well, I mean, there are many different rabbit holes, but on one hand you have this, you know, this slow bleed until eventually it collapses and, you know, the great reset is, is enacted. The build back better folks have taken, you know, over. Um, I don't ascribe to that theory. I don't think for a second they are actually in control and there's many reasons for this. Um, but if we just look at, you know, the United States, for example, uh, I don't know what is making its way over to the UK, but let me be very clear. The audits are not done and we didn't just get over it and an entire nation with millions and millions of voters. So I know this sounds a little, in, you know, conspiratorial, but it goes back to what the hell happened with the US elections. The November steal, the November steal. Oh, for sure. And what happened at Brexit? What happened with the California election? What's going on with our elections? So this is what, you know, people think we are voting in some democratic state. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You follow the road, the money up to the top. You realize hand counting is very different than tabulating and understanding how the software works and, you know, can communicate through the phone lines and, you know, the, the amazing amount of dead people who rose from the graves to come out. I mean, I could just go on and, and I saw it firsthand. 
So I believe there will be a tipping point. And somehow, somewhere, this tipping point, I do believe, is connected to this audit. And maybe it's the Durham stuff that's coming out with indictments. Maybe there's other stuff that kind of, maybe Evergrande collapses and pushes. I mean, there might be a series of world events that ultimately put this through, but we will have some kind of military takeover, Myanmar style, you know, I don't care what people think they've heard through the Q channels. There is some truth to what's going on behind a very, very high military operation at the very top um, that is going to resurrect the Constitutional Republic of, you know, the United States and thereby, um, you know, by by crashing this petrodollar and putting us into a state of a fair and equilibrium, fair markets, you know, free capitalist society. Some people believe in Jasara and Asara, guys. I can't find enough, you know, factual evidence to say that that is exactly happened. It, that's exactly what's going to happen. However, have you guys heard of the notion of the Jasara and Asara theories? We have touched on it on previous pods, yes. But I mean, I'm I, I, like, you know, the, the what I, I I guess my point there is I wouldn't discount a debt jubilee of some sort of you know some kind of doesn't mean it won't come without strings. But I mean, I'm not in the I don't take the hopium stuff where I just believe that you know your debt goes away and that's it. We all just get money because we're in the you know the dawn of the golden age. That's I, I just you know. Well, that, 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 that can't happen in entirety because someone's debt is somebody else's asset. So you can't just get rid of one side of the ledger. You have to get rid of both. Right. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm not in, I wouldn't know how that would play out. Like I said, I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in following that just because I find it interesting, you know, how that, you know, because I think there's certain times in history, you know, Rome, when they, they had a debt jubilee, you know, biblical, there's certain, and, and I think, but I don't, I, I, I wouldn't know enough to say for certain that, yes, we're going to have a Jasara. Um, but I, I definitely think with that, when the economy resets, there's, you know, we'll be moving to a gold, um, a gold backed blockchain distributed ledger, um, where we would run different payment rails that interoperate together. You have bank-to-bank -bank repository payments, those settlements, and I believe that will happen on the XRP ledger. Um, you have XDC that will also interoperate. You know, right now they're the main R3 quarter, you know, um, payment rail for trade finance. And then XLM is the payment rail for peer-to-peer. -peer. So that was another, you know, these are all the ISO accredited blockchain rails that will interoperate. And if you check out some of the interledger protocol patents, these patents are very interesting because they show how these payment settlements can interoperate backed by hard assets. You know, they can be, they can hold something as of, of value. So they're not just some, you know, fly by night digital currency that can turn on and off. You know, it's important people understand how these things work. If if somebody doesn't have any exposure to cryptocurrency, but is is interested in let's say dipping a toe in the market, how would you recommend they go about doing that? First, first would you recommend that they did, and second, if they if if they if you did think that was appropriate, how would you go about build, building a a portfolio of sorts? I mean, do you really want my opinion on this, or do you want me to tell you I what everybody else says? <laughs> tell me what you honestly think. 
I mean, because look, people say crypto and the automatic default is Bitcoin, Ethereum, (laughs) you know? And so I just want to start by saying that's not at all what I would tell you to buy. (laughs) And um, I would stay far clear away from these. And, you know, for those I have been, you know, mentoring, whatever, um, I guess, annoying, beating my friends over the head with XRP for the last year uh, and a half or, you know, or so, because, one of the things that happened with this coin, you know, it, it popped up on my radar years ago when we were doing some work with the Bank of England. I, you know, the the Ripple team, the development team was there in house. And so that was cool. And, you know, but we were mining Bitcoin and Ethereum. We didn't really care about this new thing called Ripple. Um, but it was definitely on the on the radar. Now we see the kind of advent of bank partnerships, the monumental um you know, growth that this company has created and you realize, and then not to mention the, the many, many patents out there. I mean, I found Bank of America, Wells Fargo, PNC, Bank of England. I mean, I've, I've been able to corroborate a lot of the, the real world utility behind this asset. And it kind of changed my thinking completely because when we started this two weeks flattening the curve, um, or three weeks, wherever (laughs) in the UK, um, you know, immediately the red, you know, the, the red flags came up because I was like, this, this is maybe when we might start seeing some kind of, you know, economy collapse. I wasn't necessarily sure that this was the ultimate guise or the pathway into that financial disaster. But that's when I, you know, I paid attention that first March, we were supposed to be in England launching a training center. And I just watched the financial markets crumble because of all these lockdowns. And then as when, you know, you get into the first three months and then the first six months, and then you realize they aren't actually planning to open up or drop any of this crap anytime soon. This, there must be a bigger agenda. And then you look at what happened with the SEC lawsuit right before December, or I mean, we get into the election. Okay. Before we get into the lawsuit, we get up to the election and then boom, you see the fraud just, ooze through the woodwork and suddenly everybody's building back better and you think oh my gosh this is there is some real truth to what these you know what is being whispered about on the alternative fringe media because none of this stuff that's being force fed through the you know the mainstream media is actually making sense so i'm just i'm kind of recapping in a nutshell what i have found from most of the people in my channel or people that i've spoken to their journeys of kind of figuring this and and as well as mine, although mine happened about six months prior because of the scandal with the, you know, the ridiculousness of number 10. So I had a different awakening, but I think, you know, any logical person just looking at the last 18 months, um, seeing this. And so this kind of brings you back into, you know, why crypto or how do you get into crypto? Well, when you start seeing the dollar, um, being debased or, you know, inflated away, printed away, you start looking at what other assets there are. People, you know, buy land, they look at geranium, you know, uranium, they look at different mining stocks. I was looking, you know, listening to Peter Schiffer, you know, Mike Maloney. I was trying to figure out what exactly was happening um, because I wouldn't have said I was a macro econ, but I, you know, I held a lot of Bitcoin. I always did well with Bitcoin. I always had ether. So, you know, I knew crypto was somewhere in this space, but how and where, and then it just clicked immediately that this was actually 
never about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the the blockbuster, I mean, to the Netflix. This was actually a staged event. If you look at the 2009 inception of this decentralized asset, <laughs> oh my gosh, such a lie. And that, that, that this was a finite supply, except for you can always fork the, the network and, you know, through a protocol cons- called consensus. So it's never actually finite at all. That's a complete lie. The decentralization. So, so essentially, it's not that different from a fiat currency after all. No, gosh, no. And it's it's so decentralized. It's centralized mainly in China. And there is a Bitcoin supercomputer. And this whole like, oh, we're going to use it in Ecuador or we're going to, you know, this is just a trap. This is like, this is a way to force the people to see. No, it was never Bitcoin. This will never scale. The fees will always be the issue. When we were mining Ether, Back in 2015-16, right? It was like 300 bucks maybe. Um, and I remember the guys at the events, because we were sponsoring events back then with, you know, Hacker House and cybersecurity. They were saying even then, we know about the, the gas fees. We know this is not a scalable coin. But the concept of smart contracts, yeah, that's badass. But this gas fee, never going to work. So when, So again, it brought me back to the crypto space, you know, when I when I started seeing all this happen, I think, well, maybe it's not Ether because there's this thing called Flare or, you know, you could look at Cardano or you could look at, you know, the other coins that could actually, you know, run smart contracts without mining. And it's never going to be Bitcoin because all the, you know, the, the big highlights about this doesn't mean it won't rally. It doesn't mean that there's a lot of, you know, Mr. Globals who've got their pennies in there that are going to make sure the price goes up so they can have some, you know, pie and eat it too. But if you really look at the crypto space, there's really only one coin that can ever ascend to the world functionality and utility of becoming a a bridge global asset um, like XRP. And then when I realized that it wasn't just the crazy Riddlers on YouTube, that actually there were like really smart wealth fund managers and people that were looking into how this coin um, would function, and settle payments, you know, in the space that it was. I mean, we're thinking XRP, like I, you know, if you and I go out to dinner and I'm paying you back, I'd send you XRP. No, not at all. This is going to be like IMF SDR style, like allocation between governments are going to be paid in XRP. That's how, you know, this, this is going to be the all encompassing bridge asset between the different currencies, your local currency. So what you would use in the UK would be separate. It would be a different payment rail for domestic versus the big international. And then if you're investing or trading or futures option, any of that, that's different. So this is why when I suggest when people look at XRP or look at crypto, the first place to start, the very first place right now, if you were to start tomorrow, would be the SEC lawsuit. This speculative market that's existed for the last 15 years is now to enter into this brand new dawn of a digital, uh, you know, asset class. We are literally carving out an entire new asset class. And so, you know, gambling on speculation, putting, you know, five grand tent, playing with Bitcoin, Litecoin, you know, all the fun coins over the last, uh-uh, those days are gone. Good luck mining that crap. The proof of work doesn't work. We are moving into that sustainable, eco-friendly, you know, non-QE, you know, very set supply of currency on a blockchain that can never be, you know, dwindled away. 
And it, when you peg it to metals, even better, because that means there's a hard asset that guarantees that, that that money is real. And this is why I think the SEC lawsuit is such a game changer. It's not just about Ripple. It's going to affect all of the currencies, oh, all of the cryptocurrency, you know, the coins. And there's about 12,000 right now. And if you, you know, Brad Garlinghouse said, you know, this, once regulation is introduced, 99%, 95, pick your 90, you know, percentage will, you know, be completely eradicated. Regulation will destroy them. So right now, the most important thing to do is watch what happens in regulation. Watch the space. Invest in assets with real utility, not speculation hubbub from the media drivel. Real ones that can actually solve problems, you know, not enslave, not, you know, shut down networks, not get, get congested with gas fees. You guys see where I'm going there? Hopefully I'm not boring you to death here. No, this is great. No, this is great stuff. No, really interesting. I mean, what, um, what do you think about the more um, uh, security conscious, as it were, coins such as Monero or perhaps even Ghost? What do you think of those? Monero, I mean, I like privacy coins. Again, because, you know, the, the day of speculating and trade, you know, when you're going to really be anonymous, there's a case, you know, a, a point in a, a place for that. You know, like people have loved these privacy coins. And Monero is one of actually my husband's favorites. But, you know, for me, I, I go back to this, you know, the wild, wild west days are soon to be over. So if you're going to invest in these kind of coins, do so at your own risk, knowing that once, because once regulation comes, you're going to want transparency. You're going to need accountability. Bitcoin has none of that. You know, you, you know, you have Ripple that has a CEO and, and, and shareholders, investors. I'm a private investor in the Ripple company. I also, you know, hold XRP, but this you're not going to allow these coins that don't that have these kind of faceless teams behind, you know, without any faces or names uh, exist. That would be way too. Once we define how these cryptocurrencies, you know, play their space in the new financial world, there won't be any space. Uh, I, I don't believe, and so that's why I do stand by Brad in that. Ninety percent of these coins will be wiped off the face of the planet. And there'll be a few allowed to trade. And one of the things that I see coming, you know, as we, as I, I mean, some of the work, if, if anybody's really interested in this, you could look at, I highly recommend Digital Asset Investor, Jeremy Logan, uh, John Deaton, some of the people that have been really outspoken in the XRP community, because, you know, XRP has been the target of the SEC, while X, uh, Ether has been given a free pass. And you can see the double standard that's happening within these corrupt government agencies, which is why I reverberate this message that once there is regulation, you're going to see this, this completely defined in a brand new way. So any of these companies or foundations who are not in line, and if anything, XRP will be the one that will have the most clarity and the, the most defined, you know, so you would, that would be the safest option, I would think. Um, but you know, that's, that's my biased opinion. That's, you know, what I have found after the thousands of hours of research and following every, you know, go back to every bank regulatory. Um, you know, if you look at the, 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 the events over the last few years, the UN go to them. I mean, there's no Bitcoin and ETH there. There's Ripple and there's XLM, you know, Stellar. 
And you think, what are these little tiny, you know, startups doing at all these bank regulatory events and speaking at all these, you know, what, because, you know, they paid the most. No, this is what the banks will be using. The, the, the adoption's already there. We're just waiting for the public to, you know, recognize that. And I think while we're seeing this SEC lawsuit drag on and on and on, it's buying time for setting up that CBDC implement, implementation and getting ready for the ultimate flip. And whenever they decide to flip, that's when you see there'll be a settlement of some sort and the petrodollar will collapse. So you can protect yourself with gold. You can protect yourself with certain cryptocurrencies. Um, what do you think will happen to the broader equity markets? Do you think they, they, they will be a safe haven against potential hyperinflation? Or do you think they're going to uh, collapse um, as part of this, this big reset in the markets? We've discussed this on my channel. I, I mean, right now... I mean, I've been very transparent with, you know, the people I speak to in this space because there will be um, certain stocks and things that when they tokenize over into the new system will do very well. You know, um, I'm sure there'll be mining stocks. I'm sure there'll be uranium. I have invested in certain fintech uh, companies you know, that I believe that will do exponentially well, you know, beyond in the new system. If you want to weather that, you know, there's some, some people that just want to hold them as they are and weather that new system. Um, you know, but I, I, I err on a side of caution there because I think the purchasing power of getting out in a market at an all time inflated high buying into hard assets or real money like gold and silver, you know, and then, you know, or, and, and then having a bit of crypto and then being able to rebuy in, um, after the reset. I mean, that's what I would choose to do, but that's, I mean, some people don't want to want to sell for whatever tax purposes or whatever. And, you know, I can understand that. So do you think Bitcoin will just underperform or do you think like Talib, He's saying he, it, it's worth zero. Do you think it's worth, it, ultimately, it will go to zero? I think you're going to see some kind of uh, rally, um, you know, whether it goes to that 100 grand, you know, more power to the Bitcoin holders. But the truth behind this coin will come out, you know, there's some dark stuff that is associated with this coin, how it's been used and, um, you know, just the dodgy practices of how Bitcoin and the inception, I mean, the myth that some, you know, guy in a hoodie, you know, just donated this white paper and disappeared off the face of the earth. No, I don't buy that for a second. Um, there's some theories that say this was a CIA, you know, op, you know, to basically get the public ready for a uh, digital currency, you know, that holds more weight, but you know, who knows, but I do believe there is a very dark side that will uh, eventually make its way to the public. And when regulation is announced, you're going to see it go to that hundred grand. And then uh, either they, you know, regulated it to the oblivion, you know, or there is a potential that when we reset that hundred grand might actually be worth nine grand, but the purchasing power of, you know, moving from a petrodollar to a digital dollar, you know, means that you didn't actually lose that money. I mean, who knows? We'll see. But I don't have much faith in Bitcoin. I wouldn't buy it at this moment. If you ha have it, I would hold it for the next rally and then get out 
Um, and then put your coins and put your money into low cap or mid cap coins that have more earning potential and have far greater purchasing power. One of the strategies I like looking at are some, you know, under fraction of a penny gems, so really low cap coins. They are definitely more risky, but you can, you know, the purchasing power of those. I've done a few trades on those with VeChain and XDC. You know, when you get in at, you know, a few cents and ride them to 10 cents and then you can, you know, buy metals with them or take that, you know, take your profit out and, and secure your nominal investment. That's what we always talk about um, as a way if you want to dabble in crypto and then secure with metals. Um, some people want to keep their equities. I get it. I personally don't believe in any institutional money at this point. I'm not wanting to hold any paper assets. Uh, I say that I do have a few fintech shares, but that's you know a smaller fraction. So it's it's very much like the beginning of the internet stocks, where you had so many different companies, and of course they couldn't couldn't all survive, and some of the ideas were crazy and weren't going to work, and some of the ideas were were you know Google and Facebook and and did. Um, so this is the process, or this is the time that we're in right now, because. I, I feel, I, I don't know if you agree with that, but the, the general public distrust it because it's it sounds it sounds like it's just there for scammers, like the beginning of the internet. You know, there was no, nothing good on there. You couldn't pay for anything on it. It was like there was, there was um, you know, there was no good use for it. Um, and and then all of a sudden, it, it, well, actually, it wasn't really all of a sudden. It just took a while. There were a few visionaries who thought, actually, this is going to change the world. But in the background, you've got all these technology companies saying, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. We just need to, we need time to develop it. And then, and this is what's happening with all these other little coins. There are a lot of dodgy coins out there, but there are some real companies who are coming up with some very in innovative technical uh, ideas that will, that, that effectively, in my mind, a coin represents a company and that's not an association I think people make, or I, I even made, about a year ago. About a year ago, I thought a coin was just something that you could create on the Ether network. You know, I could create a coin, you could create a coin. What's the difference? But actually, it's the technology behind what they're doing that's the interesting thing. And and this will shake out, and you will have some some very big winners. But perhaps many losers. Well, think about Netscape and the dot-com bubble. And there was this, you know, that was the hottest stock at the time. So that I feel like that's when people say, you know, I'm, I'm going to hold net, you know, Amazon and Tesla and Google and my, and I, and I think, okay, yeah, those are great, but let's think about what's going on with these companies right now and how, how are they censoring? And, you know, let's think about that great awakening again. So you think in this new system, we're going to, just innovate the financial system, but, you know, revert back to the, you know, thou shall not say what we dislike to the tech oligarchs. I think there'll be a complete implosion there. So I, I, I err on the, you know, side of caution with investing in what's hot right now, because we have no idea how these companies will fare, you know, beyond, you know, what's the reset just because they are, you know, number one right now. Because I always think about the little, you know, the blockbusters, the Netscapes with the new little Google search. And I do believe Ripple is that next big thing. 
um, and this dawning of blockchain integration and utility. I mean, when you look at, you know, decentralizing video streaming with Theta and VRA, you know, and the ads and the, I mean, just like as, as more and more traffic goes online for streaming and now you can go head to head, you don't even need these um, Wi-Fi, you can put everything on blockchain. I mean, there's just going to be so many. And then I wanted to also make the point of think of how productivity changes when payments are settled immediately. You know, like your smart contract integrates your in hires, your new hires or your employees that get can be paid, you know, hourly, daily, weekly with no HR you know, every two weeks or processing. I mean, this stuff can just execute. And I think that's really exciting that people are no longer waiting for payments or, you know, I know as a small company waiting for payments after submitting invoices or, you know, trying to send them across the world, it it just takes forever. So if those can be settled instantaneously, then, you know, you have a much more liquidity and productivity kind of moving through the market. I mean, I I think that's exciting. Also, ODL, this on-demand liquidity, being able to stake your coins, you know, so someone's buying a house, they could literally borrow from your, you know, you could stake them on blockchain. You wouldn't necessarily need an intermediary, you know, that kind of middleman um, because of the way this technology is designed and can function. So there'll be all kinds of really cool adaptations and web applications that will be utilized with this. You make, you make you paint a very exciting picture of um, what's to come. It reminds me of the having front row seats at the first dot com bubble. I was working at Merrill Lynch at the time, and it, what you said about competition reminds me of a line that I heard for the first time back then, about ninety six or ninety seven, which is the pioneers get the arrows and the settlers get the land. So you, you can be too early to this stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I mean, I, again, like when I first heard about Ripple, it wasn't like I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to buy this and hold this for 20 years. I mean, that's how I felt from 2016, you know, because holding crypto is, you know, most of it are quick trades. Some of the coins, you know, you want to get in and get out. Um, Some of them you just hold forever. And now that I'm seeing how the collapse of this dollar is kind of moving into a space I don't want to be fearful of it. In fact, I want to make it even better than what we have now. And by understanding how to make it better, I have to understand where my limitations are and where it sucks, <laughs> where it's broken at the moment and how we make sure it doesn't happen again. One does rather get the impression, I say one, I mean I, rather get the impression that all of mainstream media has been, become hopelessly compromised over the last two years. Do you think any of it's going to survive? Well, Do you think any of it ought to survive? No, no, I don't. I know that's crazy. I, I mean, I get why people think that that is absolute Looney Tunes speak, but the media will be the last to fall. The media is being used right now as this kind of drip feeding, painful experience of kind of purposely blinding and lying, indoctrinating and mass feeding, you know, the public, these kind of fear based fairy tales. And, you know, as awful as it is, those of us that see it, you know, this is what I was saying about the transition. We know there needs, you know, that there's going to be a tipping point. This, there will be an implosion. There will be something that kind of pushes this the other way in which we can say, you know, in this new system, no more media lies. This is not how we, you know, create monopolies around uh, networks, you know, no more control. You cannot buy your way in to censor people out. You know, the kind of one-sided debate on the TV right now is is awful. 
And I've, I've been trying a lot behind the scenes to kind of reach out to a lot of the journalists, the network producers. I mean, of course, they all want me to, to talk about one thing, but I'm, I'm pleading with them to please wake up and stop, um, you know, being silent on some of this stuff that is just that's happening. We touched upon this perhaps, but if, if you if you happen to have a good explanation of how the quantum financial system might work, I'd be really interested to hear because we did have a previous guest on and I must admit I, I couldn't make head nor tail of, of, of her view of, of how this would play out. But um, the quantum financial system, as far as I understand it, is at the heart of it, there's a quantum computer. That's about as far as it goes. If you can fill in some gaps, that would be brilliant. Um, sure. And I guess I would just say that it's hard to really know exactly how it will work because none of this is actually published in a way that, you know, so you, you find patents, you find websites, you find, you read between the lot, you know, you can read perspectives on companies. There's been a few companies talking about this supercomputer, this financial computer, but essentially um, how I have understood it, the quantum financial uh, system will be run through space nodes. There will be a computer, a supercomputer, but you know this is why the emphasis on silver is also really great, or really, you know, and why one would argue maybe Elon Musk likes to distract with you know uh, crypto meme coins so that people don't catch on to the need for physical silver because this quantum computer and a lot of the solar panel battery, you know, sustainable future that we are marching ahead will rely on silver. And I guess this uh, system will run on blockchain in these, um, excuse me, sorry, uh, in these space satellites that communicate and there's something, you know, it's definitely, there's something I have found with uh, this space nodes, space force. I mean, there's, there's just, there's different theories around it. So that's probably who, why. Who is, who is the driving, who's the driving force on this? Is this a private sector initiative or a, a government agency initiative or a bit of both or? I think it's both. I mean, some of the patents I've seen are just more like, yeah, I mean, the research, like as, as far as making sure the central banking system can never be hijacked again. So using things that are, you know, that are insecure, you know, SWIFT, et cetera. That's, so they, they've, they've integrated into this quantum computer that will run these blockchains, you know, communicating through space satellites. I mean, this is the, the theory. Um and, you know, I, again, I, I am looking into it. It's not, you know, I do think there is something, I think the quantum computing capacities that we've been led to believe, especially from the media are well beyond what the media have told us. Absolutely. Um, and so this is why I have kind of entertained this thought, uh, more seriously, because I think there's more to it than what we are let on to believe. Yeah. The, I, I remember in, um, the early 2000s, I was speaking to somebody who was well-connected with the software companies and was saying, you know what Microsoft are looking to do? They want to put everything in this cloud-based system so that you, 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 know, you put all your documents in this thing called the cloud. And it was just so far ahead of everything that we'd even thought about. And then I was amazed, obviously, 
later on when it just became a natural thing, the cloud. So whatever we're seeing now, there's a very good chance that that we are only seeing the tip of the iceberg. They are way far ahead with all this technology, and we're just seeing it sort of filter through, like AI, for example. Um, they must have been 15 years ago just nailing this stuff, and now we're, we're, we're able to do it. We're able to, to um, use the power of our current computers, you know, home computers, to perform some pretty um, extensive AI uh, tasks, um, even as an individual. And if we can do that, um, what, what can they do? I mean, it just boggles the mind. And it does make you question what else is out there. You know, what patents, what cures, what technologies, and, you know, what what else have we not been told exactly? Because, you know, Lord knows we don't trust anything we're hearing these days. So what else, you know, are we missing? So I'm always, I mean, because I was fascinated to learn that a lot of this interledger protocol stuff, I mean, the patents are 30 years old. I mean, so much for brand new, <laughs> you know? So I, I just think, well, what else are we missing here? Because... <laughs> There's a lot that seems to be hidden. Um, I mean, it's, uh, oh, I'm really sorry. I, I was just going to say, I, I I heard Elon Musk talking about Apple's decision to make an electric car, and him saying, "Well, it's it's really difficult." So you know, I'm sure they will they will succeed, but it is really hard. And I, I you as a fellow person who likes tech. What is it? What is so hard about an electric car? You can convert a petrol car to an electric car. I mean, I accept that the AI network and having it as a driverless car has some challenges, but even there, we have made some very big um, steps that I, I, I'm sure a, a big company like Apple could solve quite quite easily. But an electric car is simply a battery and a motor and the drive chain. What what else is there? I don't get it. I don't get why it's supposedly this this complicated technology that you know you need you need um, it, it needs to so you need to solve some intractable problems. I can't see what they might be. That's an interesting question. I mean, some say that Elon made more money with his tweets about Bitcoin than he ever did selling cars. So that that's true. That people people have said that. Um, I mean, th it's also true that I guess he's doing a lot of other things other than making cars. So, so there's mainly appearing in episodes of Big Bang Theory. So, I mean, so that there's like SpaceX and and he's doing work with with uh, renewable energy and the the solar panels and on all that sort of stuff. So it isn't just cars, but cars itself. We've had this technology for over a hundred years pretty much we've had batteries and a, a motor electric motors that's how electric electricity is made today even a nuclear power plant that's how it's made you've got a generator that's being that steam's being made it's turning the generator that's what creates electricity and it's just a reversal of that that process so w i still don't get what the technology. what the big deal is <laughs> with the technology well, submit your cv and tell them that Meow. <laughs> 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 but but that's a very that's a very interesting um, point you made about silver because of course not many people know that I know Tim knows because he got this answer this question it was a pop most conductive most conductive most uh, conductive metal. metal is silver so whenever people say why not why buy precious metals you know they they don't do anything well actually that's really not true about gold and it's certainly not true about silver oh yeah the industrial uses are often scale with this. 
Um, and then silver is also, you know, I think of the antimicrobial and, you know, medicinal uses. Silver is going to be in extreme demand. I can see them pulling out the landfills here in the U.S. trying to find scrap silver just because it's, it's it will be in, I mean, because it's, it will be in such great use. So, I mean, one of the theories I have been, you know, kind of reading or looking into is, you know, the rainbow-backed metals, you know, if they're going to use silver. But then understanding how how the tech companies, I mean, Verizon, Tesla, I mean, so many of them use silver for their products. So it makes sense why they wouldn't want people buying it up. Um, and then especially if another company is entering the space of electric vehicles, maybe it's another competitor for the precious metal who knows because there's yep. very limited mining space for my i mean i'm not big on the mining stocks with metals but there seems to be uh, you know less and less space in order you know where to mine the silver from the ground the other advantage of silver having a lower dollar cost per per ounce than gold is that uh, when the inner city writing starts you can use it as ammunition that's certainly what i tend to do with mine yeah, <laughs> I'm going to melt it down and use it as use it as like boiling oil over the uh, marauders. I'll have to work out where I live first, though. I'm not giving them any hints. Yeah. You mentioned uranium. I was that made me wonder what what you thought the the future of power would be. Do you think we have to go nuclear? Do you think um, do, do you think that the the electric vehicle will be um, surpassed by hydrogen fuel, or do you see another? technology that we've never heard of i mean it could be all of those but you know i've i've been hearing more and more about tesla energy like free energy um kind of something brand new you know as far as releasing patents and stuff you know to the point we were making earlier um this kind of accessibility of free energy free wi-fi certain things in this kind of new reset at least in the Great Awakening reset, uh, which I believe will win over the Great Reset Build Back Better, Mr. Global folks, um, you know, I, I do believe we're kind of at two different sides here and the tipping point can go either way. And even though it seems quite dismal to get, you know, rhetoric every day on the paper about civic, you know, credit scores and all that, I think that will eventually, and the passports, this will backfire. And in this new system, there will be this kind of innovation, you know, huge revelation of revealing, you know, patents and new ways of utilizing energy. I think the fear-mongering rhetoric around climate change is very misleading. Not because I don't believe in taking care of the ocean by any means or taking care of the planet or, you know, watching precious resources, minerals, et cetera. You know, all of that, you know, I don't like plastic, but I think we're going to see some truth bombs really kind of take take shape as new technologies come out um, that that kind of innovate this energy problem that we've been having this you know, fight over fossil fuels and, you know, this kind of, if you don't, you know, play by the rules, the, the world's going to shut down, but never mind me and my private jet. Okay. Look over there, people. Yeah. Um, so that, I think there's only so long, there's only so much the public are going to keep buying that. So. That's uh, that's really interesting. What, Tim, did you did you have any more questions? No, no, I've, I've just been enjoying enjoying the ride. But no, it's been great fun. Been great Absolutely fun. Absolutely fantastic, Jennifer. Is there anything we've 
all, haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about? I am thinking one of the things that I keep reiterating with everybody on, um, you know, building up to this reset, you know, ensuring financially you cover your assets and that you're able to take care of whatever um, wealth nugget or, you know, whatever you have in the bank, whatever it is, however little, however small, because one thing that I, I have learned since I started reading financial books around age 17, that in all great periods of, of change and transition, there is opportunity, you know, on whatever side, you know, if you want to wear your black hat or your white hat, that's, that's on you. But, you know, of, of what you decide to do with that, that opportunity. And right now it's really dark and grim out there. And it seems like the world is just being fed a bunch of information. But, or, you know, misinformation and lies. But I think at the end of the day, all human, you know, consciousness will rise to this awareness of understanding that there is something off. And that when this does implode, that the, it really comes up to the human, you know, spirit to step up and, and make sure that we decide how we choose to implement technology. This is something I have been preaching since the, you know, since I started my events in London with, you know, Innotech. This is not about doomsday, creepy, singularity theory stuff. This is about, you know, using technology to innovate, not enslave. And uh, if, if there's no other message I could leave your audience with, you know, with all the stuff that's, you know, kind of circling out there, you know, because everybody has an opinion on it. But um, I think ultimately how we choose to implement is really what what will change the game here. So thank you. <laughs> I th well, th look, thank you. I, I was going to say that it's it seemed like the most easy thing to do for you would be to not actually speak or to try and help anybody. But yet that's exactly what you're trying to do. You've got a Telegram channel. You're trying to get your message out there. And, you know, you're doing it for the benefit of other people, which is just incredible. Um, can, you, can you tell us what, what your Telegram channel is for people who, who would like to follow you? Oh, sure. Sure. Thank you. I, I mean, I, I wrote a piece called Lockdowns Are Not About a Virus and then went in to go on to why I believe that this is about a financial collapse. And that piece did really well and I had a lot of questions. So that's when I launched the Jennifer R. Curie channel. And through this channel, um, we have a chat channel called Shadow Band, but the Jennifer R. Curie channel has been a series of threads that were all, that are, are meant to basically set up to educate and kind of expand the mind into wondering, you know, it's okay if there's not always a link, like just listen to this woman on the internet, you know, tell her story, listen to these people, watch how the narrative flows, look at the logic flaws, you know, point out the repetition of, you know, what people are saying, what's happening, you know, look at this, the juxtaposition of what is said and done, the way the government is. So we've kind of launched different threads, you know, how to prepare. We did a gardening thread, a sustainability thread, you know, all these um, precious metals, crypto, you know, mortgages, bonds, pensions, just so people have a place to come together and talk to each other. Now, I don't profane to be an expert. I just have, you know, staunch opinions. You can agree with them or not. It's okay. Um, I, I, I know what I know and I know what I don't. And so sometimes I'll say things and I'm like, you know, over to you guys. 
Um, I've learned a lot from my channel. For example, I'm I'm probably the world's worst gardener, but I did a sustainability thre thread. It is badass, guys. Go check it out. And, you know, it's all about different tips and tricks of you know growing potatoes in a bat in a sack or you know filtering water, how to you know grow your own food, and these kind of things that are just all about uh, mentally preparing for this. Um, reset of society and how that takes shape form. We don't know exactly, but we're trying to cover all the different areas to explore, you know, what do you do with a partner that just isn't on board? How do you deal with your children? You know, what do you do with about informed consent? All these kind of things that parents are dealing with, you know, sometimes it's easier to discuss them and talk them out than try to like think clearly, right? Because the default is always to just cower in fear, like, oh, I just won't do anything. I'll just, you know, do what I'm told kind of thing. But if you allow an environment where people can discuss and share and, and interchange, you know, and, and, and kind of give different perspectives, then this, this um, empowerment of knowledge comes over you and you think, okay, right, I've got, you know, a grand in the bank. I can put, you know, 500 in, in, in silver, and buy some crypto or, you know, I'm going to take out my ISA and put it in gold or, you know, this is, I'm going to invest in a generator and buy some water filters, get some extra batteries and food. You know, these are some tricks. I think it's amazing environment for people. And I think this was one of the best things I could have done this summer um, as far as just being able to share little bits that I was seeing, especially around the Balins, the IMF, this SDR allocation, you know, all this kind of stuff that people are going, that can't really happen. No way. And yet here it is. <laughs> it's it happening. Se it seems <laughs> to me that um, despite everything you said about the the challenges facing us, and I don't dispute that there are some very significant challenges facing us, that you're actually s s kind of s secretly lapping up this 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 environment, this opportunity. It's, 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 you know, you're really making hay. So my, my question would be, if you could have any time to be alive and on this planet, would it be this time or would you choose another time? Well, because I would say I would say cometh the hour cometh the person. And it seems to me that you're you know, rising to the challenge. I do believe I mean, for let me tell you, I struggled with this for a long time. I was very angry for a long time. And I you know, couldn't get through the day without crying because I just mm. felt so angry by what they did in the press, how they lied to you guys the complete false narrative they force fed you the, the constant kind of, the constant government trolling oh my gosh and i just sat there like why why would you do what the hell what do i matter what what is this fierce venom of constant a pole dancer what where are you getting this stuff from and so i just i mean there was just so much of that that i i, I and then when I saw that it wasn't about me at all, it was actually about a bigger picture. And the sooner they could debunk me to go away, you know, because at the very beginning it was play by the rules or, you know, <laughs> face the consequences. And ultimately mm -hmm. I said, no way, I'm not playing by your stupid rules. And then that's, those are the consequences I faced. And I saw it first. I mean, I faced it first, you know, full on. So I, this isn't about, trying to make myself look good as much as sharing my own personal journey, you know, of, of having a real relationship with that world leader. Cause it's so easy to slag people off. You don't know, right. It's so easy to complain about government, but mm. let me tell you, it, it is a whole different struggle when you're like, what the hell happened to this person? I mean, this is somebody I actually knew for a very long time. And then when you're meeting other people that actually knew this person, and then you're starting to dig further and further and further, um, especially being here and seeing the double, you know, like the way that the news is, 
is completely different here and meeting people here that actually know what happened with the election and then what is actually being. So there were so many different constant factors at play. So it's not that I'm delighting in it. It's, it's more than I feel that there is a good, there is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will win this as human as, as you know, for humanity. And I don't believe that fear ever is an option um, so making decisions in fear or feeling anxiety or not understanding something is is very different than when you when you feel that you under you have a grip at least enough to understand okay this might happen and this you know and so I'm preparing for whatever may come and I think that kind of preparation and the sense of community that people are desperately seeking right now is something at, you know, I as well, but if anything, it shows you, this is exactly what I used to do in London with my events. Mm. I mean, there's mm. a reason why everybody came to my events. <laughs> everybody loved my discussions. So here I'm able to continue to do it, you know, digitally, you know, and you can see by, if you just YouTube InnoTech, you can see the thousands of videos and the, you know, very controversial discussions I used to have even back then. Um, you know, we did tech versus brains about the eradication of middle class jobs in 2014 in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> I mean, talk about being ahead of the curve. We were I was already calling it out. Look, what are we doing about this, folks? Do not fear. You know, we can control this. Now, clearly, we're in a war right now, a spiritual, psychological and ultimately financial war. And people will often just bury their heads because they feel like it's easier you know, to, to, to dip out and just accept the ultimate consequence. And I guess one of the things about my voice is this resiliency. It's in my character. It's the way I am. So if anything, you know, let people feel empowered by knowledge, not fearful. How, how do you stay sort of mentally and physically um, healthy? What, what, what are your, do you have routines? Do you meditate? Do you go for long walks or run or, or what, what's the sort of thing that you would do to help you get through this? It's a challenge. I pray, I meditate and I do a lot of yoga. Um, but I also have a four-year-old that keeps me laughing, you know, and it <laughs> keeps things, you know, keeps perspective of life when you're looking through the lens, oh, yeah. you know, that's so sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. So that's really my secret weapon. Don't tell anyone. But I think, have, <laughs> you know, if you have children, you understand completely where I'm coming from there. And I think that's, yeah. I think that I'll, is where our heart must really, you know, stand up and fight for our kids. Because if not you, who? And if not now, when? Right? This is, this is why we have to step up. Absolutely. Um, we normally round off with a um, what we call our media picks round, which is anything, any book, any film, could be a podcast, could be an article, something that you found absolutely brilliant and inspiring or enjoyable or the opposite, you think people should be warned off. Uh, it doesn't have to be financial. You've already mentioned a film, actually. So right at the top of the show, you, you kind of already gave us one, Jennifer. But if you if you have something else that you could recommend, that would that would be great. But otherwise, we'll stick with your Utopia um, call. Yeah, I think right now everybody needs to watch Utopia. <laughs> yeah, well, m mine, mine is similar in name, but, but different. There's a um, Cryptopia film that's uh, on it's a documentary on amazon and it's about cryptocurrencies and the future of the internet which i thought was very interesting and so similarly 
it uh, it was food for thought. So Cryptopia, I'll, I'll put links in the show notes. Can we just add on to that then? Because if you said Cryptopia, so the message here, guys, is crypto is your transformational wealth. Your nominal investment, what you hold in the bank, what you protect now is, you know, is what I recommend securing with physical assets like your gold and your silver. Right. So both have their place. Both can be used. So understanding Cryptopia, um, you know, that's a great documentary to start getting on YouTube and watching digital, digital asset investor, digital perspectives. James Rule. There's some great people covering, you know, J- Jeremy Logan, I already mentioned um, the the SEC lawsuit, but then also check this one out on YouTube as well. End of the road, how money became worthless, gold financial crisis. And this kind of documentary about the real, you know, the difference between money and currency, I think is an absolute must for people as well. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Tim, have you have you got one? I, I kind of have it. It feels jarringly inappropriate given how upbeat Jennifer's been. Because I'm going to repeat one that we started talking about just before we aired, which is a, a horror film called Hereditary, which I was watching right. over the weekend. Um, which is <laughs> perhaps the most shocking and terrifying film I've seen over the last decade or so. So it doesn't it doesn't sit well with what we've just discussed. <laughs> under no account should it be seen with children or indeed anybody else it's it's truly terrifying (laughs) nevertheless i'm going for anyway it's love but bugger it so uh it's hereditary it's called hereditary and it stars uh tony collette who is always excellent she's a brilliant actress gabriel byrne who's one of my favorite actors and a young lady called millie shapiro um it's basically, uh, I have a track record for massacring and um, plot, plot reveals. <laughs> Tim, and... Tim, please, I can't let you do it. Don't, so, please, so I'm don't. not going to say anything about it other okay, than good. it's shocking, it's horrifying, it's demonic. It is the best horror film I've seen in the last quarter century. It's absolutely superb. And it's by a, the first time director, Ari, who wrote and directed a guy called Ari Astor. Ari, absolutely yeah. superb. Um be very careful with him you watch it but because it is truly shocking but it's absolutely spellbindingly good i saw it in the cinema it was it's very unsettling the music or the, the 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 sound design is i just found unsettling i don't know what they did i saw in i was looking at the the notes i was watching it on i must have been watching it on on amazon prime because you know they have their little show notes that go along with the film and it said that i think the the sound designer treated the soundtrack as a separate character in the film oh okay that makes so, sense. i mean that the attention to detail throughout is quite something mm. it's a lot of a lot of mastery of detail but it, it, it's ex- exceptionally good well right awesome jennifer jennifer so don't watch it with your four-year-old jennifer no, I, th- I think watch utopia I, with your children <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure. And um, just remind us what your um, your Twitter handle is and your website. So Jennifer, uh, handle is at Jennifer underscore R. Curie. Um, if you, I, I still, you know, work with, uh, you know, Hacker House. We still have our training. So Hacker.House is our training. We have a book, Hands-On Hacking, that came out. And a training course for digital skills. And then I run my Telegram channel, Jennifer R. Curie channel, if you uh, search it on Telegram. 
And this, again, is just a you know community of people preparing for the financial collapse. I also have a blog on Steemit, but you can find that on my Telegram you know, for some of the blog posts I've done on, you know, Bitcoin and the IMF, et cetera. Absolutely fantastic. It is really fun hanging with you today. And and thank you for the chat and the, you know, allowing me to speak and share my opinions on this. You know, I, I merely only wish to send, you know, the message to to keep people hopeful and, you know, not to lose their spirit right now because it's very easy to... <laughs> Well, it's absolutely our pleasure. And Jennifer, we'd love to have you back. So anytime you've got um, something you want to say, the door's always open. Just let us know and um, you'll be on. So thank you once again. Thank you. All the very best. Are Good you luck with everything. Are you guys by XRP now? Uh, yeah. Just, I was trying to do it while we were speaking. Uh, <laughs> but but then my phone started digging, so I thought I better stop. So. Oh, yes. Uphold. Uphold is the one where you can buy it. Okay. Excellent. Right. I'll check that out. Thank, Thank you so much. Guys. Thanks again. All the best. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.